This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. During this past weekend, I had attended the Magic at the Beach at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I have to say it was uh, one of the best conventions I've attended this year. And I've, as you know, attended about a dozen different conventions. So I have a good perspective there. And I think what made this exciting and special was it really was lightning in a bottle. There was something that is going to be kind of hard to repeat because the people who had attended, that is the talent, uh, were friends of Charles Bach, who was the one who had put on the convention or was the main organizer of this, and he hosted it in his uh, Wonders Theater. But the point is they were friends who had all worked together at some point or another, either on ships or at Caesar's Magical Empire, different places together, and it was an opportunity for them to all get back together and recount some stories, have a few drinks and laughs, and stay up all night after the convention is over in each other's rooms, just uh, enjoying each other's company because they hadn't seen each other in so long. People like Eric Buss and Carrie Pollock and uh, John Chirac and Chip Romero, and uh, it, it just goes on and on. There was just a, uh, uh, of course, Greg Fruin, uh, who'd come down uh, from Canada, uh, Christian Moreau, and uh, and others. It was just uh, a lot of fun, they, and you can tell that they just had fun when they were on stage, because they were trying to impress their friends also to show them what they were doing and what they've been doing, and how successful they have been since they last got together or saw each other. In fact, they probably had never been together uh, as a group like this it, ever. But uh, anyhow, it was, it was fantastic. It was uh, uh, a nice little convention, about 150 people or so, roughly. And they had a lot of um, uh, people that were local or regional that were there. But anyhow, I hope that they were able to put that together next year. That's going to be uh, equally exciting as much fun then as well. Speaking of conventions, another one I attended earlier this year was the SAM convention in New Orleans. And while there, I had a chance to talk with Ian Kendall uh, from the U.K., now, we have spoken in the past and have become friends, and so I was anxious to sit down with him and talk with him because he is one of these people who knows a little bit, actually a lot, about a lot of things and is a very funny guy. He has been in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and booked the houses and has packed them and is very funny, even... Uh, was involved with uh, a comedy club over in Scotland many years ago, which we talk about. The first part of this podcast episode you're going to listen to, it was really just kind of us having a fun conversation and a chat. But stick with us because it's it's fun and he's got some good stories. The real meat of what he has to offer and some advice that is from some of his lectures comes in the second half of this episode. So I enjoyed getting a chat. It was just a lot of fun. And you could tell it was conversational, certainly. And and he is just uh, an outstanding magician and knows so much and is willing to share and offer all of this. And he happened to be over in the United States uh, again for the SAM convention. So I know you're going to enjoy this little chat with my friend. So please welcome Ian Kendall here on The Magic Word.
I'm here today with a, a gentleman who is from across the pond, and that's interesting. We always say the pond, whereas if someone is on the other side, they're Australia, I guess that's not a pond. But when you're in England, and when they're in Europe, we don't say the pond. We only refer to across the pond, I think, when we're referring to English and Scottish and Irish. It's the Atlantic. The Atlantic is a, a medium-sized pond, yes. Compared to the Pacific, I guess. That is a large pond, yes. And so that's why it's not called a pond. But my point is, I, I don't have a point, actually. <laughs> But this is someone who I really enjoyed at Magic Live last year, and someone I know you guys are going to uh, enjoy because he has uh, a wealth of information. Uh, he is from one of my favorite countries and hangs out with some of my favorite friends, making you then one of my favorite friends then too. So I, we're going to go in different directions here today, so please welcome my friend Ian Kendall. Hey there, Ian. Hey, Scott. Nice to be here. <laughs> so... We right now are starting to have the popularity of the Barbie movie. Has anyone ever said you're a Ken doll? I did actually. Somebody sent me a Ken doll birthday cake okay. image, which was a cake with a Ken doll in it, which which was obviously grabbed from the internet, but but sure. showed effort, which I don't usually get in my, my birthday gifts. Normally, it's just like on Facebook or something, saying Merry Happy Birthday or something. I, I'm not a not great birthday thought. person, so I just normally, <laughs> they just ignore me for the rest of the year. Now, you have, we were talking uh, earlier today about uh, comedy clubs, and did you had mm. said, like, you had worked in producing some comedy clubs or owned some clubs earlier in I Scotland? Don't, I, I think own is a very, very, no, I didn't. I ran a comedy night in Edinburgh in 1995 and 96 mm -hmm. with a guy called Mitch Ben, who I used to do shows with. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Mitch is the, the UK's leading musical satirist, to be honest. And we started in the very nascent Edinburgh comedy scene in 1994 uh, in a club called The Comedy Stop, which is run by Gordon Dallas and Jen Packer. Uh, and then we had a falling out with, well, I had a falling out with Gordon and Jem, and they decided to throw us out of their club. <laughs> okay. And so we had two, two performers uh, in those days. If you didn't have a gig, you made your own one. So okay. we started running a club for a couple of years. And with that, let me say, being from Scotland over there, that you live just uh, west of uh, Glasgow? No, I live, I live east. I live east, in Edinburgh. Closer to Edinburgh. East coast. That's right. Edinburgh. That's right. The other side over there. Were they mostly UK comedians who came through or the international oh, comedians? No, no, no. Or? They were very, very local, oh. very low paid, uh, if paid. No, we paid. We were the first comedy club in Edinburgh to pay our acts yeah. on a door split. So if we did all the work and we weren't actually on the bill, we didn't get any money. It was a very egalitarian way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just a bunch of local friends. There was maybe a scene of 30, 20, 30 people. And we would rotate around um, very, very occasionally somebody we knew in London who was in Scotland mm -hmm. would come and do something and then just look at the lack of money and go, no. <laughs> Uh, but it was it was a it was the the garage band of comedy clubs. It was you know when you get high school kids will will be in their garage with a guitar and a bass and a drum kit, just going through the motions. That's what we did. But it got us a lot of stage time, which was the important thing. It's hard to believe that you didn't stay in business longer with that excellent business model. You know? We had no business model. We couldn't barely spell business model. We actually there was around about that time. There was a, a UK government had uh, an initiative, uh, called, I think it was called the Enterprise Allowance or some 
buzzword like that, where as a, a young business, you could go and apply for funding for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went along, Mitch and I, and, and tried to get funding to boost our careers, our performing careers. And right. you actually had to have the start of a career to qualify. So we got booted from the interview very, very quickly. <laughs> that is funny. Okay, well, that was just kind of a side. I thought it was kind of... Oh, one other thing, while I'm talking about comedy clubs, because I know in talking with Noel Britton, you know, and working around like he did in different mm-hmm. comedy clubs as well, it's a lot different uh, being in the London comedy scene than it would be, I'm sure, in the Scotland comedy scene. Yes, sort of, kind of like... Um, what's, what would be an, an apt comparison? Maybe doing a birthday party in the back of a garden when you're 12 and Carnegie Hall. I think that would be a fairly close (laughs) uh, approximation. (laughs) Okay, a little bit different. I found it or still find it interesting about how people in the UK don't travel much within the country. I was working um, with Pat Page and Ali Bongo there at uh, Sterling Castle one year at the Castle of Magic thing that they mm-hmm. had going on. Yeah. And uh, there was an older lady at the time, at the time she was in her 60s. Now I'm way over that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, it's lovely up here. And I said, what are you talking about? You like the castle? She said, no, just Scotland in general. I said, where are you from? She said, London. And I said, you've never been to Scotland? She said, no, in my life I've never been. I mean, this is way up there. I mean, it's like, what? It's only like about an eight hour drive. Yeah, well, see, eight hour drive in, in the UK is a lifetime. I guess it just, so. It just doesn't happen. Um, I mean, it, there are road warriors that will travel. There are people that, that travel around. But certainly 40, 50 years ago, or, and between 50 and 100 years ago, sort of the, the middle of the 20th century, it was not uncommon for people to be born and died in a 50-mile radius, you know, and just never, wow. never going anywhere. Because there was nothing else to see or do. They felt like, well, I've got everything I need well, right here. Why should I go? No, very not. And oh. <laughs> just there was, a, there was a lack of opportunity. There was a lack of reliable transport. And you see, the, the scale of, I mean, you've got to remember the United Kingdom is small on, on, a, on a, compared right. to the United States. Compared it's, to, it's right. probably, I don't know exactly, I would say, because I used to live in Georgia. So Georgia is my yardstick for size. The United Kingdom is about half the size of Georgia for the whole country. Okay. So, you know, if, if, if I was to drive from Macon to Savannah along I-16, which was an incredibly boring road, then that would be the equivalent of, of largely going the length of the country. It would be like driving from Orlando to Maine, on that kind of scale, and we just don't do it. And you really don't have the infrastructure of the interstates the way we do here as well. Oh no, we have a good motorway system. Is that right? Yeah, it's not quite as it's it's very. Well, I get the A one and a couple of others, and that's about it. I used to live like. on the A one. I okay. mean, literally house walk out A one. I used to cycle on the A one. Hmm. And if so, for the for those of you listening in in the U.S., the the A one is the main road in in the United Kingdom. It goes from London to Edinburgh. And it just goes up the, the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And it is the equivalent of I-75, I would imagine, would be a good example. Okay. of I-75 goes from, does, does I-75 start in Miami? Does it start f- north of Miami? Yeah, but, well, I know it's from Florida. Yeah, it, it goes basically goes from, to, from like Florida, Florida to, to, to Massachusetts and, yeah. and, and up there. So the A1 is like that. Mm-hmm. And I used to cycle on that road as a kid. So if you imagine going out on I-75 on a bicycle with no, no helmet, wagons going by you at 70 miles an hour and just... And a bicycle's a kid. Yeah. Your parents said, uh, take off. Yeah, I mean, they were okay with I, I grew up in Northumberland, not actually in Scotland, just 20 miles south of the border. And yeah, you, you sort of leave the house 
in the morning and then come back maybe for tea mm-hmm. um, in the evening. Um, and we were just almost feral, just roaming the countryside. Wow. Do you have a brother and sister? I mean, you got a big family? Or? No, not at all. I had, I had a sister uh, who stayed down south, so I didn't really grow up with her. Um, there were a couple of other kids in the village. The village I lived in was um, 15 houses. It was about 150 meters long, which is about 200 yards. So two football fields long mm-hmm. and 15 houses, a pub and a farm. Hmm. And that was the entirety of the village. Wow. And everybody knew everybody, obviously. And it was just kind of a... And a few of them were related to everybody as well. It and was probably so. Yes, yes. I want to go back again just to comedy because the things that were funny, I know that within the United States that uh, people laugh in different states uh, yes. of, of the Union here at different jokes that will are appreciated in one part of the country that are not in the other. Mm-hmm. Is it similar that people would laugh at some things in Scotland they wouldn't laugh at in England? I well, mean, London. In, in, in London, they probably can't understand the Scottish comedians. That's the main because problem. Because of the, uh, the broad, accent? The broad accent, yes. They huh. no, it's, um, yes, there is very much a regional sense of humor. But that has been mitigated in, in recent years because... Um, you have TV shows to, like panel shows and YouTube and Facebook and TikTok. A lot of comedians post clips on. So, so if somebody is interested in, in stand-up comedy, they don't have to go to a live club anymore. They can actually get their fix by watching Netflix or YouTube That's or true. wherever. That's true. And so they have a much larger exposure to different comedians from different parts of the world. Going back to the 90s, um, which is when I was doing the circuit, yes, there were very um, regional aspects. If I, if I went down to London to do the clubs in London, mm-hmm. which I did every now and again, I would have to temper my accent. I would have to change a few jokes. Hmm. And a lot of the stuff we were doing was, was largely geographically topical. Okay. So we would talk about something that happens in Edinburgh uh, about Edinburgh people. And even people in Glasgow would go, what are you on about? So, <laughs> Wow. But so, yeah, I mean, the, again, it's a, it's a sense of scale. If you look at regional accents, for example, in America, you have regional accents, but they are largely based around three or four states. Hmm. You know, so you've got the south, the southern, the southeastern, you've got your neck of the woods in Texas, you've got California and the Pacific Northwest, you've got the Boston and that kind of right. stuff. Chicago, in the Midwest. Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get accentual changes in the UK within five streets. Wow. I mean like Cockney and everything? It just kind of... Well, Cockney's in, in, in the eastern London. But yeah, I mean, you can, you can literally, in Edinburgh, you can go half a mile down the road and there'll be oh. a different accent. Well, I've heard that like the Inverness is supposed to be the most classic Scottish accent. Is that not true? There's no such thing as a classic Scottish accent. Because huh. okay. you've got... I mean, I have... I have a, a very typical Edinburgh middle-class accent. It's okay. not very strong. It's, I was once described to me as Edinburgh Farquhar, quite educated. Um, and then if you talk to the Glaswegians, you talk to Paul and Paul mm-hmm. on that side, it's a lot more what some people would see as a, as a joke Scottish accent. Like what you're doing now. Like what I'm doing now. Yeah. This is, uh, uh, you, you, heard, you heard Paul, Paul Nardini and Paul yes. Wilson in, in the show this morning. Right. They, yeah, Nardini was a little bit harder to understand. Nardini is, is, is more Glaswegian. Um, Aberdeen's a bit more sing-song. You go to Orkney and they're all kind of weird. And then hmm. um, I can't really do a Fife accent, but that's really weird. Hmm. So they, you have the, the idea of a, of a generic Scottish accent is as 
strange as a generic American accent. You know, mm -hmm. does, do, do Californians sound like Bostonians? Can you imagine somebody in, in California go, oh, let's go surfing on the big waves. I, that was terrible. I can't do that. Like, so that's the example. You can't, if you're from Scotland, you can't do a generic Scottish, a generic American accent. Yeah. That's why in movies, they always have someone who is credited with accents for helping some of the actors if they're supposed to feign an accent with yes, whatever part of the country. Paging or, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> And also, speaking of that, we were talking about some of the food here. Well, we're, as we're speaking talking right now, we're in New Orleans where they have great Cajun food and everything. And I think that our Paul Wilson was talking earlier today just a little bit about the um, food, you know, being here. And I was saying, yeah, you know, up there you got haggis and deep fried Mars bars. And yes. You started to say something about the Mars so, bars. So the, the deep fried Mars bars uh, is now a thing that you can get everywhere in Scotland. Hmm. Um the original story of the deep-fried Mars bar was broken by a friend of mine, a woman called Mary McCarthy, who is now a, a, a corporate trainer. She was an actress from Glasgow. And she was the host in the uh, late 80s, uh, probably early 90s, of a TV show called FOT. It was a kid's show. Okay. And that stands for false or true. And in the show, there was, it was a half-hour show, they would do three little, or three or four little bits. They would show a, a news item, and then the kids had to decide whether it was true or false. And then they would, at the end, they would say, this was true, this was false, and the kids go, yeah, you got it right. And Mary- Was it for children specifically? It was, yes, it was okay. a children's show, it was like, a kid's show. Like Nickel teenagers? Nickelodeon type okay. thing. Yeah, but teenage stuff. Yeah. And Mary did a piece to camera about deep-fried Mars bars. Just as a riff, and, yeah, just a joke. And, you know, there's this chip shop that is selling deep-fried Mars bars, and she had to eat four of them. So she had a long shot, a close-up shot, a talking shot. And she told me this afterwards. She said, and the kids apparently all voted that it was false, that they made it up. And they said, no, it's true. So the original story of the deep-fried Mars bar was originally broken by Mary McCarthy in a, t in a TV show called FOT in the early 90s. But Trivia was it, fans. But was it an accident, or how they actually deep fry I don't know. It? I, think, I think somebody just went, oh, I wonder if we deep-fry this. I mean, when I was at school, the delicacy was deep-fried pizza. Never had that? And not, not um, in batter. They would just literally just take a frozen pizza and drop it in the hot oil. Mm -hmm. And you would have that with chips and brown sauce. And that was a pizza supper. And that was a delicacy in the mid-80s. In Texas, at the State Fair each year, it seems they tried to come up with some sort of new deep-fried something. I mean, <laughs> a while back, it was deep-fried butter, stick of butter. And, you know, how would you do that without it all melting? And apparently they put it in, like, some bread, first of all, like a... that that you would deep fry the bread, yeah. like you're making a beignet, I guess, or something. So they put this stick of butter in, and wrap it up in there, and then they roll it and deep fry it. You know, So that way you're eating. It's, it's the baked Alaska of dairy products, isn't it? Yeah, it's there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and each year that's, they, they try to top whatever crazy stuff that you can't even imagine, you know, that it would be deep I've fried. i so always wanted to go to Texas. Come to Texas. Up until that moment. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have a lot of other good stuff, you yeah. know, chicken fried steak, chicken fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can get baked potato flavored crisps, chips, in Britain. Think about yeah. that, potato flavored potato. That 
I, I don't have any words for that. I, I don't understand. Honestly, and they tasty. And they taste just like baked potato. It's basically butter. You mean flavor. like loaded potato? With no, no, just butter. It's basically butter flavor. So we, we would have a baked potato, and you cut it in half, and you put butter in it, and sometimes yeah. you put cheese and baked yeah, beans yeah, and other yeah. stuff. But the, the the crisps are baked potato flavored. What what we call crisps is what you call potato chips. Yeah, I'm saying. And, and baked, chips are French fries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're baked potato flavored crisps. And you look at them and think, this is potato-flavored potato. How can they get this wrong? And they didn't. They're delicious. Absolutely delicious. I would not have guessed that. I because would probably have tried it. It's like, that's just a joke. It just tastes like butter. Wow. Actually, deep-fried butter. <laughs> there you go. See, you didn't need to come to Texas. Hey, have <laughs> save money. It all comes around. Well, I remember when I was in England, first time I tried some of the salt and vinegar chips. Yes, the classic. Yeah, yes. they were a green bag. What's the name of the company? Makes Walkers. The chips. Walkers, that's what it is. Walkers Those makes. bastards. Do you know why? <laughs> why? Because the... So we have three, like, flavors, basic flavors of crisps in the UK, mm-hmm. which have been since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. You know, Victoria, Queen Victoria ate these. Maybe. Probably not. And they are ready salted, salt and vinegar, cheese and onion. Mm-hmm. Okay? And forever, forever and ever... The bags were red for salt and vinegar, mm-hmm. blue for salt and vinegar, and green for cheese and onion. And Walker's Crisps put salt and vinegar in green and cheese and onion in blue, deliberately to mess with established law. <laughs> and, and now Walker's Crisps, which is a very big brand, they're like Lay's yeah. or... You know, one of, one of the big brands, mm-hmm. and they deliberately subverted a century's worth of color-coding potato crisps. Why would they do such a thing? Because they need to be gaffer taped to the wall and have golf balls launched at them. <laughs> but getting to that, I just want to say there's something about the richness and the texture and the, the flavor of the uh, salt and vinegar chips or crisps there are different than salt and vinegar that we have here. You know, once they finally brought them to the States, it's kind of like they almost watered it down. Still good here, but it doesn't taste like Walker's. What, what we used to get in the 70s and, and later in the 80s, but less now for quality control, is the, the coating that they put on, the salt and vinegar flavoring, mm-hmm. occasionally would, there'd be a clump on a, on a crisp. So you get one slice of potato with probably a clump of... of salt and vinegar mix mm. flavored powder maybe an inch by half an inch if you want to use american measure and you would eat one of these because hey lots of and then your eyeballs would literally shrivel up you'd be like <laughs> <laughs> which is an interesting try to imagine listeners my face contorting into a raisin <laughs> or maybe a currant because that's what happens when you eat too much of this flavoring of salt and vinegar crisps it it, it the salt just just hyperosmoses all the liquid out of your eyeballs, and yeah. they shrivel up. And yeah, <laughs> you only do that once, but then you wait until the next time you go and hey, look, I've got another, and you do it again, <laughs> do it again. because <laughs> kids are stupid. So I want to go just a second. Also, <clears throat> last year when you spoke at uh, was last year, wasn't it? Or the no, year before? it was Genie in twenty nineteen. It was Genie convention, not Magic uh, no. Live. Then okay, so it was a Genie convention. I. I Go to a few conventions. I, a few. Kind of I think you've probably been together. to one or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so there was then at the uh, Genie Convention, which was a great one. That was Penn and Teller came that year. So I they recall. did. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, Penn did. Teller was sick. That's right. Teller was sick, and that was the one when Piff was there and uh, Katrina came up on stage and. I think probably less said about that the better. Probably so. Yeah. Okay. So moving on. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to go back and listen to that particular episode. Uh, or don't. Or don't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, she even came on uh, Penn's podcast, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday School, Penn's yeah. Sunday School, and talked about uh, that because she, he just thought she was great. Anyhow, so uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm trying to recall. Can you recap for just a minute what it was that you had, what your topic was? Uh, well, I, I do the basic training for breakfast lectures which are the 8 a.m., 8 a.m. lectures. Who gets up then? And Well, did you know, so there's a wee story about this, Mr. Wells, because I know whose idea these gosh darn 8 a.m. lectures were. Mr. Wells, well, weren't they? They were yours, weren't they, they, they Mr. Yeah. So just a background. In, in two th- can I do quickly tell the background of this, the story? <laughs> yeah. In 2012 which is when Richard Kaufman was putting on the first and theoretically only GD only, Bash, right. the 75th birthday party. Right. Rich is a friend, so I emailed him about something um, a few months earlier and said, I hope you have a good time at the convention. And he said, what will it take to get you here? And I was like, I'm barely allowed to go to Blackpool, and that's only because I've been going longer than I've been with my wife, so there's no way I can go to another country. So he said, tell you what, come and do a lecture, I'll pay your flight, I'll pay your accommodation, I'll pay your registration, you eat in the food court, no money, and I'll give you the worst possible lecture time slot. And I was like, All in. that sounds like fun. <laughs> so he gives me the 12 o'clock on Thursday time slot, which is the first lecture. And I thought, this is brilliant, because I'll get up, I'll waffle on for an hour, and then I've got the convention to myself. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he buys my flight, plane ticket, and I'm, I'm coming to America. Then... In the intermediate, he books Yuri Geller for a two-hour talk. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he's got to rejig because he's got to cram this, this two-hour lecture into the filled schedule. And John Carney got my 12 o'clock. So suddenly I'm floating around with nothing. And somebody, Mr. Wells, mentioned to him that they should have a lecture at eight o'clock in the morning at a magic convention when most people are going to bed. And Richard mentioned this to me. He said, you're not getting the 12 o'clock lecture anymore. Instead, you're going to do three lectures every morning at 8 o'clock to late 45. And I couldn't say anything. He bought my ticket. So you're already there. I came over. I didn't expect it. Nobody expected it to be a success. But it was. I had so in about, other words, you're saying that my idea was a success. Your idea was a success. It was absolutely, um, a, a, I hate to say it, but a very good idea because we had <laughs> a, a core of about 100 people. Uh, the first room they, they put me in was about the size of this hotel room mm-hmm. with, with 30 seats, I think. And I remember thinking, if I get 30 people, I'm golden. I'll be happy. Yeah. And we had about 150 on that first day. I had David Ben sitting at my feet, people all behind me. Yeah. And they moved, after the first routine, they marched, marched room. everyone to the bigger room. Yeah. And so that was, that was that year. And then in 2019, I came over again and Richard put me in the big room to start with. Mm-hmm. And because of the feedback from the first one, like seven years earlier, um, on that first morning, I had a, a, a gaggle of about 20 people peering in through the door because they couldn't get into the room because it was so full. And yeah. then we moved to an even bigger room for that one. So uh, Richard had to, to stand up and go, yeah, because Ian Kendall's outsized his room again. <laughs> but no, so basically what I did was, I was it was based on my MUN column. So because mm-hmm. I wrote a column for MUN called Basic Training for a while. And it was theoretically that, but it was just me talking. And I couldn't tell you what I said. I don't go into lectures thinking, 
I'm going to, I have a rough idea, but I never, ever follow it. And I just, the one thing that- I think that was part of the, the, the beauty of that, because people wanted to come and hear what you were going to say the next one, because it was different from, from that. It was Ma- kind of like that, you know, legendary thing when Mike Skinner was working the Magic Castle that you've heard so much about, yeah, you know, where it, he did a different show every night, you know, yes. 21 different shows. Yeah. I, I think Max, Max Maven said to me um, at one point, uh, uh, I think next time you should get a- lecture in the afternoon so I could hear what you have to say, <laughs> which is much, much missed, much missed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was largely uh, chaotic. Um, I enjoyed them. I mean, there was one, one guy, and I can't remember who it was, Josh Arroyo, it was a friend of Josh Arroyo, so he might know. Um, we were standing in the lobby and he said, you're the Swiss Army penknife of magic because you can talk about any subject. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I want that on a poster. Or something, and I can't remember what the guy. I can't remember the guy's name. I just remember him saying that. So I'm holding on to. I'm not making. I promise you, I didn't make that quote up. Um, but the lectures cover everything from close up to stagecraft and everything in between. It, it's funny how that some people get their their brands or some sort of a thing. You know, from something like that. That said, I just was talking with uh, Dale Sawick, and uh, he was saying when we were working together at Magic Island one time that uh, Scott Hollingsworth, who was entertainment director, was also the MC, and he had introduced him as the Gentleman of Magic, and he said, "I like that," and that's what he's been using, you know, forever. That's a uh, good name. Yeah, and there was something. I remember talking to David Roth, and he uh, said you had said something in your convention column in Magic, in which you had called me. I forgot what it was. He said it was, you know, complimentary, and he was using that then also to kind of inter- have people MC yeah. and introduce him. And so you just never know that you might say something like that, which makes yeah. sense. The yeah. Swiss Army knife of uh, magic. Yeah. It's, it's a weird one. I mean, this, the Sunday Times once described me as a sleight of hand king, Ian oh, Kendall. Good. So that's on every single piece of publicity well, yeah. I ever put out. <laughs> of course, that would be. But I also remember getting uh, your lecture notes, and uh, at least they weren't all over the board. I mean, as I recall, they were pretty—they mean not pretty good. They were good notes. They, the thing about my notes that I that I really wanted is they—they they are a book. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have seen the lecture to understand what's in the book. Everything is mm-hmm. filled in. Um, interestingly, <clears throat> because again, the subject ranks. Uh, I traded a set of lecture notes with Jim Steinmeier mm-hmm. for a copy of his book. He had the book about Jarrett, I think it was. Um, and I saw him the next morning and said, uh, I read your notes last night. I was surprised at the range of material. <laughs> because <this, laughs> um, I, I, Something for everyone or possibly no one. No. So <laughs> the, the notes, whenever I write lecture notes, and I've only done really two sets of actual notes notes, um, they are standalone books. Mm-hmm. They, they are, you, can, you can learn everything. You don't need to have just... I've got a set of Fred Capps notes at home so do from, I. from the 70s or something. It's like hieroglyphics. You've got no idea what's going on. So I didn't want it to be that. Sure. You want this to, to live on after you, that people will be able to interpret what, you, what you're saying. I, it's, it's funny because I Use them to start fires. It's, I, as I'm going through a process of moving right now, and I've been going through my books and my lecture notes, and there are a bunch of them that I want to keep. I should say a few I want to keep, and some that I'm giving to Mark D'Souza. And so, and I brought them with me here to, you know, have them shipped up to Philadelphia. And as I was going through all of these one at a time, I did find one from Fred Capps, and I thought, this probably has some good stuff in it. I'm going to look at this later. But now that you said it's not, I should have given that to him, I guess. You should have given that to him, yes. yes. <laughs> he would appreciate it. There's probably better ways of learning Fred Capps material than... Than through his lecture notes. It, it's LH, RH, DL, and that's it. That's the entire routine description. 
Okay. It's just chaos. Do you have three books or four books that that are three that are, well, that are I've got, on Lulu right now? Yeah, I've, I have. Of the recent books, I've got one which is The Lost Luggage Show, which mm-hmm. is the one I wrote in lockdown. Uh, I have a hardback color version of a basic training, which is the, the co- compilation of my MUM columns that I put out in 2012. But that was paperback and black and white. This is hardback and color. And I have my latest book, which is called Brain Dump, which again is color hardback. And that one is all of my, prof- uh, a, a, a sizable proportion of my professional routines. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, it's, it's not much technique, but it's, it's the routines and the presentations. The script and everything? Uh, there are scripts in there, mm-hmm. yep. And that is, every, the, the thing I like about it, about Brain Dump, is everything apart from one routine has been performed in front of real people. Okay. And there's one routine that wasn't, which I, I worked up for a show in 2016 called mm-hmm. Mind, Power and Magic, but I had to cut for time. So I didn't actually, so I can do it, or I could do it in 2016. I can probably take my time and do it now. Um, and that is memorizing a 64-bit number, 64-digit number wow. in under a minute, and then being able to recall what color a square is and the ones next to it and the one up and down. Is it a trick or you have an eidetic memory? Uh, no, the method is you memorize the thing. That's the method. It's but just, just hard. I give, I give a, a, a method for making it easy. You only have to remember eight pieces of information. Are they random or something that uh, the yeah, spectators so, can put together? So one, one of the routines uh, in the book, and one of my favorite routines that was to perform, is the night's tour. I was about to ask you about this. I do the night's tour. I you do the to, night's tour? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, lovely. We, and we, and, we and I hardwired that in my brain also. Yeah. I used to go out for walks in the evening with my wife, and she would go through this, and I would just you know, say the numbers, and she had the list, and we, you know, I, yep. until I just knew it. I mean, just hardwired it. So, so in, in Brain Dump, I do what I would describe as a, a deep dive into the night's tour. In mm-hmm. the, I, I, uh, I talk about my journey with the tour, if you want to use that really crass motivational speaking phrase, and my journey of learning the nice tour. The go- Sorry, Max, I'm not slipping into to Max speak. Um, which goes back to 1981, when I first saw Peter Ravine do it on the, the Paul Daniels show. And then I started learning it seriously in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. And then I performed it for the first time in, I think, 2006 around about then mm-hmm. um, and I've gone through different presentations so I explain that then I, I give the tour I show you my mnemonics remembering it the methods I use for, mm. for doing it I have my whole presentation um, I do it against the clock for money okay um, and I've lost twice I've made mistakes twice and lost 20 pounds each time mm-hmm. so the premise of that is after I've got a big board and people are taking the cards out of the board I've got okay. two spectators and at the end of the present, at the end of the night's tour, if you turn the cards around, there are random red and green knights, okay. little horsey pieces. Yeah, right, right, knight pieces. And they then put those randomly into their half of the board, so that okay. you now have a sixty-four bit digital number. Oh, reds, I see what you're reds and greens, reds yes. and greens, reds uh-huh. and greens, sixty-four. And you look at, I look at those for a minute or less than a minute, really. It's about forty seconds, and then you turn around. Some of you could say. Okay, what is um, digit 36? And I do 36 is the fourth one across on row five. So five down, four across, that's green. 
the one next to it is red, the one on the other side is green, the one above it is red, the one below it is green. In fact, that whole row is green, red, green, green, red, green, red, green. So you do that a few times and then you can go all the way from the top to bottom and you do it backwards, you do rows Just of columns. Just for 40 seconds of glancing at the... Yeah. Gotcha. And it is, it, it sounds like it's difficult, but it's, it's no harder than learning a mem deck. It's, it's only eight pieces of information. Again, because it's a mnemonic that you... I, I mean, I could say, it, well, it's, I, I break, each, each row is eight bits. Okay. So eight, eight colors, mm -hmm. and I break that into three pieces of information. So the leading bit, the first one, is red or green. So, so green is one, red is zero, if oh. you're thinking binary. Yeah, binary. So the first one is size. Red is big, green is small. Oh, correction, green is big, red is small. And then the next three are color. So you've got up to seven, or zero. So, so red, red, red is zero. And then you've got Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, yes. blue, indigo, violet, right. for the thing. So you have a color. And then the next four bits are 16 objects. One is a gun, two is a shoe, all that kind of stuff. So if you have, for example, let's think, um, if you have green, red, green, green, okay. red, red, green, green. So you've got, what do I say? Green, red, green, green, red, red, green, green. So the first one is green. So I'm looking at big. Then I've got red, green, green, which is three in binary, red, yeah. green, green, so it's red, orange, yellow. So I've got a big yellow, and then I've got red, red, green, green, so that again is three, which is a tree. So my object is a big yellow tree. And if this is the first row, I go to my mind maze, which in my yep. place is my office in my room, mm -hmm. and I have- Your mind castle? My, yeah, my, whatever, my Where palace, yep. Mm -hmm. I have a big yellow tree in my mind castle. So I think big yellow tree. Now, if somebody asks for, let's say, the fourth bit, I know that that is the fourth one across, which is the, the, the um, least significant bit of the color. Mm -hmm. So it's a yellow tree, so that's three, which is red, green, green. So I know that it's green. And I know the one to the left of it is also green, but I know the one to the right of it is red because the significant bit of a tree is red because it's zero, zero, one, one. Okay. So you can look at the, the line with practice and you can say, right, that is a big yellow tree. That is a, a small red gun. This is whatever. And you go down mm -hmm. and you put those in eight places of your mind palace, which for me is eight rooms in my house. Mm -hmm. And the rest, I mean, memory techniques take effort. I mean, this is not self-working. None of my stuff is really self-working. Right. But... Um, that's just an example. I, I can't believe I just, that's the method for the trick in my book. There you go. Um, and that, that is basically the thing. So when I say that the, the method is you memorize the 64-bit number, you do. But there are ways of making it of Making it happen. Yeah. Wow. Well, there, I've seen so many different presentations and uh, to make them all look amazing. And I once saw Ricky Jay on the stem in New York City when he was doing this. And then he had uh, a stack of index cards he gave one guy and another stack of another one. And he had uh, this one that were was calculations of square roots of Cube roots, multiple numbers. Yeah. And then the other one was of uh, songs. And so someone was supposed to just say switch or they would say song or, you know, because he was, he was going through the, to the uh, night's tour and telling you which square, you know, where to move or where to put the night. And then somebody would say switch. And then he, they'd say, 
you know, whatever the song was, and he would just sing the first, you know, a little bit of chorus of that, and then he'd go back to that, and they'd say, switch, and they'd say, okay, what's the square root of uh, 6,332, or whatever, you know, and then he'd do that, and then back again. It's like his mind was just, uh, it was amazing, you know. It is, before we, I'll address that, because I was literally talking about this with Jason England a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, I think we should have an advertisement break here to say that people that don't know what the Knight's Tour is. Oh, yeah. The Knight's Tour okay. is a classic, about 120-year-old uh, chess problem yeah. where you have to take the Knight, which is the wee horsey, the L-shaped move, mm -hmm. and in 63 moves, visit every square in the board once only. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of the equivalent of, of fitting 63 Ls onto a board. Um, and it is either really interesting and fun or mind-numbingly boring. It can depending be. Depending on. So that's just, it just occurred to me in the last sort of five minutes we've been talking about it. <laughs> people might not know what the heck we're on about. There's not a it's, lot of people who do that. It's a chess thing. I had, well, not a lot of people play chess much anymore then too. Yeah. I had done this as part of a trade show. A trade show, night tour. So uh, Lior Manor had a, uh, or has. Oh yeah, the, uh, the Knight's Tour Excalibur, yeah. Yeah, in which they no. Not Excalibur. Knight, no, it's not. That's Devin Knight's one. It's the Knight's Tour 2000. But what he has then, of course, is that because uh, I had sent him the, like the logo of the company, because at the end, once you hit it, it all just kind of uh, disappears and changes to the logo of the company. Yes. Yeah. And so he sent I, me that. Yeah, I had this uh, had a uh, a mask on basically, and I would talk to the audience. I'd have somebody who was going. What they did it was just touch the screen, and then that number would would disappear, yep. or turn different color or whatever. The point was, every once in a while, we get to some number. You know, I'd say uh, eleven. You know, I'd raise my mask and say, "This company has uh, eleven uh, manufacturing companies located in different uh, states around the United States." Mm -hmm. You know, or this company has got eighteen patents. You know, whatever it yeah. is that you're doing. So I keep coming back and talking about the the logistics of the company and the the, the importance of things that, that they do. You know, of course, obviously, they're number one, you know, in the, the business or whatever. And they've been that kind of a thing. And every time I raised my mask, I had more and more people who were interested. What's this guy doing over here with a mask? And what are they doing with this big screen? I was just going to say, I think it's incredibly brave to put a mask on, lose eye contact with a trade show audience. <laughs> you? you might sort of come up and there's two guys with they? carrier bags going, <laughs> can you tell me about your product, please? <laughs> and you got the sales manager looking at you going, we're paying for this? <laughs> so, But they worked out great. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, But I haven't done that uh, you know, in a while. It's one of those things that it's not like riding a bike. You really need no, to it, do it is. A, it, it, going back to what I said, I would come back to what you're saying what, with, with Ricky Jay's presentation. Of course, yeah. I have. I didn't see on the stem, mm -hmm. and he didn't record it like 52. So, um, I'm only going by what I've read in in the magazines and, yeah. and the Ferrari of the purloined material. Um, but I was discussing with Jason. One of the reasons that I didn't do the Knights Tour in the late 90s was because. On the stem came on, and I didn't want somebody to go, You're only doing the night's tour because Ricky Jay did, mm -hmm. which is exactly what they would have said to me. Um, just like so that, too. That, that's that is the dialect, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's 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 the premise of that, yeah. But going back to what we're saying, so brain dump, yes, let, let's let's pivot back to the topic, Ian, and don't go off on tangents <laughs> like this. Um, well, you is, are the I'm the Swiss Army knife of tangents. <laughs> of tangents. Um, and let's talk about them. The, the, the etymology of the word tangent. No. Um, <laughs> so, brain dump is is basically my professional routines since 1992. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's a mixture of about 70% stage magic, 30% close-up. There's a lot of essays in there. I've got an essay on how to deal with hecklers, um, how to deal with stage fright. Uh, there's uh, top 10 tips on busking, which is essentially a little mini course on how to do street shows. Mm -hmm. um, what was interesting for me, what, the, what I found most, not most fun, but very interesting was the last section is a breakdown of 20 fringe shows, Edinburgh fringe shows that I've done. Hmm. Do you remember Ian Keeble did a book about yes. 10 years ago called Magic Shows? I don't remember Magic Shows, but he had another book. Stand Up. He did Stand, stand Up. That's what I'm yeah. thinking of. So he, he did a book called Magic Shows, which was a, a continuation of the books like Programs of Famous Magicians from the... Uh, I remember Stuxet. that. Sure, sure, sure. And it's, it's basically running orders of the shows the show. that he had seen. There's about yeah. 50 shows. And I'm in there because he came to see one of my shows oh, really? in 97. Okay. Hmm. So the last third, well, last quarter of the book is 20 fringe shows that I've done where I talk about the preparation, I talk about the routines, why I did this routine. There's some handling tips buried in there. Um, and it's just a, like a spread of, of what I did from sort of 1993 to 2016, mm -hmm. um, which I find fascinating. I, it's yet to, <laughs> I'm yet to hear what other people think of it. Um, but it's interesting though that in sort of the mid 2000s, I'm just, I just did the same show and I hate myself for that. It's just like, I always try and put three new things in, but those three new things got smaller and smaller. And so it's just, it's like doing, yes, it's the coin routine. You expected that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, when you have a good show, uh, the thing I used to um, um, do in the show afterwards was, was to ask my audience or some people, if what'd you like best? And they might say, oh, I like this or that. Mm -hmm. And then I would add some more things. I think, okay, they like that, but I'm going to try something else I think is kind of like that or strong as well. Until finally they said, oh, I don't know. I just like it all. I like you. And that's the best accompaniment you can get is when they that's, like you. Yes. I, I, I yearn for that feedback. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm living for that feedback. Someday somebody will come up to me and say, Ian, I liked you. But yeah. so far, no. It's just like, I know, that was okay. <laughs> that was okay. I think it was okay. <laughs> I've seen worse, you know. I've seen better, but I've seen worse. <laughs> so one of the things we were talking about this morning also, you had four different points. You said, uh, do you remember what we were talking about? The... We were talking about the, 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 the four levels go. of learning. Four levels of learning. I'm going all over the board also with this. Absolutely. So, But was this from one of your books also, the four levels of learning, or is that just a philosophy that you have? Gosh, that's a very good question. It is in, it's in basic training um, because I... So t a wee bit of background. Advertisement break. Ian has a background in education. So I've been teaching something since I was 14. I've got three and a half official teaching qualifications. The half is because I didn't finish my, I didn't finish my TEFL course, okay. teaching English as a foreign language. But I've got others, and my wife is a, a teacher, and before I met her, my flatmate was a teacher of 10 years. I, I, I've been- What did I, your wife teach? She had prim, elementary school, okay. primary school, five, six-year-olds. And uh, so I, I'm passionate about education. We have to, if you go back to the other, any podcast I've done, I'm always talking about, I'm passionate about correct education. And at the start of basic training in the magazine, I, I'm pretty sure I explained the four levels of learning. And these are rote, understanding, application, and correlation. Now, rote is being able to say, um, if you turn over two cards as one, it, it looks like, you know, it will be, um, deceptive. Yeah. Uh, 
understanding is knowing that you can handle two pieces of cardboard as one and are thin enough to, to be deceptive. Mm -hmm. Application is the ability to actually do the move. Mm -hmm. And correlation is the ability to take that skill into another effect or another realm so yes. that you can handle doubles or triples or, or take a double from the center or something like that. Use that same method for other kinds of effects. Yeah. Yeah, or, this, or the same knowledge, knowledge into yeah. other okay. effects. I'm with you. Um, so in, I, I get very didactic when it comes to teaching. I, I get, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm like a wind-up dragon on caffeine who will just go, I'm going to tell you how to teach now and you're going to listen at the end. You're going to know how to teach. Now sit down, shut up and listen, boy. <laughs> um, so a typical Scottish like education a, coming up there. Sound like Billy... What's the comedian? Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. I, I, I don't. Anybody who knows Billy Connolly will lynch you for saying that. Oh, sorry. He's a then. national treasure. <laughs> um, well, Billy's a lot more Glaswegian. Anyway, that's by the way. Um, so, yes, I, I, I am passionate about correct education. And the problem, I'm going to make so many enemies in the next 30 seconds. Lay it out. 90% of magic teaching is awful. Okay. Um, certainly, if you go back to the pre-1980s, go back to the 60s and 70s. Do lectures 80s. because we didn't have videos. <sighs> yes, but people, teaching is a, is a skill. The ability to mm. teach, the ability to take disparate complex mm -hmm. information and impart that clearly in a way that different skill levels can understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we, I'm a wee bit younger than you, but we probably started in, in the same sort of 60s, 70s, 80s era mm -hmm. where you would get a book and you would sit down and you have to interpret this book by yourself, mm -hmm. which causes, in a lot of cases, people learning bad techniques early on because they don't have the breadth of knowledge to interpret this correctly. Right. Um, and then with the advent of easily produced home video and downloads, of which I am guilty as well, uh, it's very easy now to churn out information which, with somebody who has no experience in teaching. And so an awful lot of magic teaching, if there's some, some's good, some is good, <clears throat> but there is, there's certainly some things I've read I think, well, you need an editor and a course in how to write. <laughs> um, and, and there I've made some enemies. And well, was, just talk about the Fred Capps lecture notes, for an example. Fred, well, that's a, that's a good, I mean, that was kind of deliberate, but it's a, it is a very good example in that um, the information presented is insufficient for a student. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't go into a primary school uh, or an elementary school in the US yeah. and, and say, right, we're going to do calculus today. <laughs> First, we're going to differentiate this. Then we're going to integrate this. Then we're going to do a wee bit of area under a graph. And why are you crying, Billy? Catch up. <laughs> you know, get it together, boy. Delta X over delta Y. You know what we're doing here? <laughs> so you, and it, a lot of stuff is, and again, because, oh God, I'm ranting. I am ranting. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Kendall has been escorted from the building for ranting. He's off again, and we must lock him in the closet. Never heard of a Scotsman actually ranting. Oh, you need to come back to Scotland. Happens every I'm being very facetious here. Day. <laughs> no, I'm, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wind myself back. I'm going to okay. wind myself back on this because we're going to have a three-and-a-half-hour diatribe, tirade of um, alienation 
where people who thought, oh, this guy's quite, oh, no, it's not him. <laughs> Don't like you anymore, Kendall. Away. <laughs> so you were going, you were saying about the four things then again. So we had wrote. You've covered that. Yes. And then? Understanding. Understanding. Right. Understanding is knowing what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, actually being able to, the, the, the trite, the trite saying is if you cannot explain your point to a five-year-old, you do not understand it. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to... Speak at a level? Not speak at a level. You have to be able to describe to somebody else what it is that you're doing. Okay. Now, if you go into the world of medicine, when I was at university, about 80, 90% of my friends were medics, mm-hmm. now doctors. So I, I spent four years or three or four years in amongst that learning environment. Mm-hmm. They have something called see one, do one, teach one, where you watch someone do something. Okay. Now, in medicine, it's slightly more, I don't know, um, important than card tricks. You know, there, there are consequences involved. So but card tricks are brain surgery is what you're saying? It, it's not rocket science, yeah. Um, so you have to, let's say you're cannulating somebody. Cannula is a big, big hypodermic thing, excuse me, and you, you're sticking it in a vein. So you would see somebody do it, then you would do it, and then you would teach somebody else how to do it. Sure. So see one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding, so the set, you wrote is just saying, reciting something out of a book. Yeah. Understanding is the ability to explain that to someone else. Gotcha. Okay. And then you have application. And that is the ability to stick somebody in the arm with a large needle and not hit a nerve or a muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and correlation is application, but in a different setting. Got so, it. So that's basically it. So the three books you have available, they're hardcover, you said, that are through Lulu? Lulu. Me, you, yeah. buy, you buy them from my website. Give me a little bit of a pitch here on this. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome <laughs> to the wonderful world of wacky, wacky books from me and Kendall's World of Magic. How to do stuff. Hi there, how you doing? Sir, you would like to learn what to do if you learn, lose your props on the way to a gig. We have a book for you, sir. It is called The Lost Luggage Show. This book is a blueprint for the insurance policy of your career. Have you ever dreamt about turning up at a show and your bags are in Dar es Salaam? That's in Africa, kids. No, here's what to do. So basically, uh, The Lost Luggage Show is uh, my method for preparing for losing. I'm not keeping that up. That was horrible. For, <laughs> for um, if, you, if you lose your show or if you have to do a show and you just need to go and buy your props from Walmart or CVS or Target. Kind of like Max had with nothing. With nothing, yes. Yeah, same idea, but not for mentalism. Um, so that's, that's uh, The Lost Luggage Show. Um, and in that, I, there are three sections in the book. The first one is called The Chat, which is why I explain why you need a Lost Luggage Show, how to create one, what it is, blah, blah, blah. blah. Then the second one is The Work. So I use as a template my list of routines that I can do from Target. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're split into openers, middles, closers. And if they're mine or they're in the public domain, I teach methods. Otherwise, I, I point at resources. Here's where you can learn this and the other. Yeah. And the third section is shows where I give three sample shows. So there's a, I think there's a theater show, uh, an after-dinner show, and a parlor show. 
and I show I give examples of, of what routines I would do. I have a shopping list, what you need to do to, to get these, uh, the, the packing list, the pocket management, the blocking for each of those, as only as an example for what I would do. Yes. It's not, I'm not, not a blueprint. I'm this not is what saying, to do. Yeah. do this show. Sure. It is, uh, the book is an example of what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and you can take that and make your own list. And, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, everybody, everybody I know. It's like correlation at the end of what you were talking about. It is, about. yeah, mm-hmm. it's correlation. Everybody I know who has, has done a stage show or, or travels for work, Will has, has said at one point, they've had discussion, yeah, I, I know tricks I can do with nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've just, but they've never rehearsed them. They've never blocked them. They've never scripted them. They've, they get, so the idea is preparation. If you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole genus of that book. That's the lost luggage show. Hey guys, I'm back. Uh, so the next book we have is Basic Training the Book. Basic Training the Book is a collection of long articles written for MUM magazine in the later start of the some decade in I don't know when, 13 years ago. Um, this was my column basic training in uh, MUM from 2009 to 2012, plus an extra lesson on the pass and an extra lesson on the top change from two other ebooks I did. Mm-hmm. Um, which covers everything from coins, cards, uh, ropes, juggling, stagecraft, um, pretty much uh, the whole gamut. Mike Close said to me, I just want you to write stuff for beginners. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a beginner level. Um, and the new version is the, the deluxe version, which is the, it's hardback and it's better quality paper and it's in color. And it looks a lot. I'm really still called basic really training. Still called basic training. The book deluxe, and that's on on my site. The, I mean, the paperback is still available. I don't know why, but it is okay. marginally cheaper. Um, and that's basic training. And then, as we've been talking about, brain dump. Brain dump is my book of routines uh, with close up and stage and essays and all kinds of good stuff. And where can people find that? What's the website uh, URL? Virtualmagicshow.com. Okay. And then you scroll down and it will take you to Lulu. And it's much easier just to go to, to the, my site and then have an extra click to Lulu to take you through than Rather trying than to, try say, to search the, yeah. Lulu.com forward slash 10075232497. No, I don't do that. Just go to the virtualmagicshow.com. Um, my website is an absolute nightmare. So if it says this site is unsafe and hooching with viruses, it's not. Um, you can just put www.virtualmagicshow.com forward slash courses, and that will take you directly without going through the redirect. But it's something else to remember. Well, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, this time we've had uh, to chat together. The name of my podcast, as you know, is called The Magic Word. I always like to close by asking my guests what it is that's important to you. You have uh, a, a diverse background and a lot of uh, interests in so many different things, and you are the sum of so many things. What would you say is most important that you live by? And that could change from day to day, but what is it now? What is it that you uh, find? In magic or in life? In life. In life, don't be a dick. Okay. Good advice. That's my that's my mantra. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Um, do things with no ulterior motives. Uh, if somebody asks for help, help them because I guarantee somebody helped you in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just just be. The world at the moment needs nice people. Yeah. Oh, that's true. 
Well, you're awfully nice to have sat here and uh, shared your thoughts with me. Rented. Un, un, unrestrained. I was you letting know, look, you go. Scott, Scott's here looking at me with his eyes wide going, shut up, man, shut up. <laughs> oh, no, man. I just, I'm excited. <laughs> no, he's fine. This is cool. He's, he's fine. <laughs> I, 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 tend to, uh, I tend to go off topic quite a lot. I think the listeners figured that. Yeah, the correct pronunciation is aluminium, by the way. Now, what part of uh, England? All of England actually pronounces it that way. The whole, say, of, UK, the whole the, of the UK. The, the rest of the world, Scott, calls hmm. it aluminium. You mean in India? Yes. Well, of course, that's not fair. Because it's a si- yes, they call it aluminium well, because it's a scientific name. There is one country in the entire world that missed an I. You dropped an I. You went, ah, oh, that's too many syllables. Aluminum. <laughs> aluminium. Sodium. Potassium. How come you Calcium. add? Why do you add a U to favorite in color? Oh, do you want to know? I was actually talking to somebody about that this morning. This this is an absolutely true story. In I think it was 1924 or 1929. I would have to Google that. There was a committee set up in the United States because everybody that was coming into America yeah. was an immigrant from Europe that mm-hmm. did not speak English as their first language. Okay. Now English is a nightmare language to learn. It took me five years to learn it. Absolute nightmare language with horrible spelling. So what they did was they just took out all the invisible letters, all the silent letters, and gave what was essentially the most simple phonetic spelling of the words in order for the immigrants to spell correctly. Mm-hmm. So the, in, in every way, the American spelling was simplification of a nightmare Germanic Anglo-Saxon language with lots of Latin and French and Italian and Spanish. Mm-hmm in order to make it easier for non-English speakers to learn the language. And to come into the country yeah. and be able to spell yes. and write. Yes. Well, that's, I learned something right you there. You learn stuff in my show, Scott. Well, so I should hang around with you more often. You need to come over here more often. Will I be seeing you again soon? I think I will. I think you might be. <laughs> I think you might well, be. I will say this. By the time that this uh, is released, it's going to be after Magic Live. So we're not allowed to say who's speaking at Magic Live. I know. And we can't talk about that. It's like Fight Club. It Um, was wonderful. I was amazing. (laughs) I will talk to you at Magic Live. And then later, this will be. Oh, no, we've got to do this again. (laughs) Not this. No, this this will be released after Magic Live. So people that hear you will say, man, that guy was so cool. I wish I could hear more from him. Oh, I got a podcast. I could hear him. So you'll be. You'll be heard again. Buckle up, kids. We're off to the races. <laughs> For the Magic Word Podcast. That was Ian Kendall. I love you, man. It's Scotty out. Thank you for your time and your words, Ian. What a fun conversation. That was, it was great catching up and uh, hearing all of your stories and advice as well. I think everybody got something out of that. I certainly did. Well, this has been just uh, another wonderful episode, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. If you have not yet subscribed to the pod letter, be sure to do that. And if you go to themagicwordpodcast.com, there on the website, you'll see a little pop-up that will say to how you can subscribe to the pod letter. And I also suggest that if you have some way to financially assist us, either with a one-time or ongoing donation, or through perhaps even a monthly pledge, that would be certainly welcome, and you would be 
a friend of the Magic Word, and depending upon the level of your pledge, you certainly get some neat perks along the way then, too. Just, again, go to the magicwordpodcast.com, and there will be a link that will tell you why it is that we certainly need your financial support. I've been attending a lot of conventions this year, and I've been doing it for you, so this way that you get updates on what's happening at all these conventions, even though not all of us can attend all the conventions. So I try to get around to talk with everybody and let you know what, a, uh, what what's out there. So, I hope you come back then also next week and uh, when our guest is going to be the person who was announced in the pod letter. Another reason why you should subscribe to the pod letter because not only do I tell you who's coming up this week, but also suggestions from the archives and also some information about who's going to be coming up next week. I will also mention that uh, I was sorry to hear about the loss of another one of the legends in magic and in mentalism, Larry Becker, and he was one who was the focus of one of our earlier episodes then also. In that pod letter, there is a link this week that will allow you to go back to uh, that episode to uh, hear Larry's voice then again. So, until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to be nice and to do things with no ulterior motives, and if someone asks for help, then help them. This is Scotty out. Scotty out.